Hey, you're listening to episode 14 of the Ask a Freelancer podcast. Ask a Freelancer is brought to you by Cushion, a simple forecasting app for freelancers. Cushion gives you a bird's eye view of your schedule and income so you can plan months ahead and reach your financial goals for the year. Learn more at cushion at cushionapp.com. Let's get to the questions for today's show. Now, remember, these are questions that you sent to at Cushion App on Twitter, and somehow we captured real recordings of you asking those questions. I know it's kind of weird, but let's jump in. Do art directors still expect illustrators to snail mail them printed postcards? Or do they prefer to view digital work now? So this question is directed towards illustrators, but I'm going to answer it for freelancers in general, and I'm just going to take it as a marketing question. Uh, The question is, do art directors expect you to send printed postcards to them? Uh, or is digital work fine? And if you don't know, traditionally in the illustration world, there's this precedent over the past 50 years, I'm guessing, uh, (laughs) that you would send a printed postcard as direct marketing to the art directors that you wanted to work with. And that's kind of just the, you know, if you've got a lawn mowing service, this is your version of slotting in a little direct mail lawn mowing service thing into somebody's mailbox. Uh, It's the same kind of thing. And that's kind of been general accepted rule for a long time. Now, I'm someone who has a, a pretty pretty good illustration career right now in, a, in the freelance world. And I've been working on this bad baby for about eight plus years. And I haven't sent more than I'd say a hundred postcards. And of the jobs that I've had, I would say that probably around of the jobs that I've done have been attributed to direct marketing efforts. And of the people that I know that are really, really thriving out there today, I would say that this is pretty common. And so I think you've really got to rethink marketing generally and rethink marketing today. So first, I wanna just talk about rethinking marketing. I have another podcast called Creative Pep Talk where I go into this into great detail in episode 113. And generally what I'm saying is that marketing does not equal direct marketing. I think most people think of marketing as the last thing in the, uh, in the cycle of your work where you go out and shout from the rooftops that you've got work and that you're looking for work and that you're available for hire. The direct marketing, the emails to the people that you wanna work with, the, the printed pieces to the people you wanna work with. Lots and lots of people think that that is marketing, but any great marketer will tell you that is the last thing you do in the marketing process and that great marketing starts when you're building the product. And so 
marketing is a lot more than just telling everybody that you've got work. It goes into a deep knowledge of the demand in the market. It goes into uh, the way that you position your work in the mar market, the way you make your portfolio, the people that you're marketing to, and it goes deep into the stuff that you're actually making your portfolio pieces. And so my first encouragement is just to completely rethink marketing and don't get so hung up on the last piece. In that episode 113, I talk about this idea that marketing is like building a crazy bonfire. And so many people think that marketing is just the match at the end that sets it all on fire. But if you don't do all of the right marketing work leading up to that, you're going to have a fizzling fire. You're going to have nothing's going to happen when you light that fuse. And so it goes deeper than that. You got to get the right kindling. You got to chop the wood the right way. You got to soak it in the right sauce, you know, <laughs> the lighter fluid. Um, all of that stuff has to be done right. You have to think about where's the demand in the market? How do I position myself to meet that demand? How do I prove that I have the potential to serve that purpose? And then how do I get the word out? That whole process is your marketing. If you want to hear more about that, go to episode 113 of the Creative Pep Talk podcast. Now, the other thing I think you got to do is you got to not just rethink marketing generally, but rethink marketing for today. Because today we're in a situation where marketing has dramatically changed. And I think the core of that is A, it's become so crazy noisy that it's really hard to get through. And then B, people have the ability to not consume your marketing. Like we have all kinds of methods these days to avoid consuming anything that we don't want to consume. When's the last time you saw a full McDonald's ad? right? Because we have the ability to skip it. We'll pay for the extra expensive Hulu so that we can skip commercials. So there are no commercials. We never even have to think about it, right? And so we're in a situation where in order to get people to consume what you have to say, you have to make something that they want to consume. And this is where content marketing has changed everything in the marketing world. Because instead of paying to force someone to take their time, to take their money, you've got to get creative and create stuff that they want to consume. So a McDonald's ad is a great example of old school advertising. We're going to take your time to take your money potentially. I think a great version of the new approach of content marketing is Old Spice. Old Spice says, here's free 30 seconds of comedy to trade you in a respectful manner for your time and attention and a little bit of space in your brain for our brand equity. And so I think you've got to dramatically think rethink the way you think of your marketing and that starts with social media. Now, social media, most people look at Instagram and Twitter as potential billboards to post their latest projects and post their promo. But instead of thinking about it like 
a billboard. I think you've got to think about it like a media channel, like your Instagram feed is a particular channel on someone's TV and you've got to create amazing content that people are not only willing to consume, but want to tell other people about. The people that I know that are the most successful in their sphere are doing this right now. Now that concept is not something that I thought of all up all by myself. They come from great marketers in the field, people like Gary Vaynerchuk and Seth Godin. If you want to find out more about these concepts, I suggest diving deep into their world. I was approached by an agency to do some illustration work for a two-month project on site, and they asked me for my day rate. As a trained graphic designer slash freelancer, I think they want to work for hire situation, which seems a bit odd for me. Aren't there rights, usage, etc., which need to be factored into the cost even if I work on site? Not sure if I'm considering all the factors here. Would love if you shared your thoughts on the subject. Okay, so this question is about when you get into a freelance contract uh, and they want you to work on site, should it be a work for hire situation or should it be a usage situation? Now, just to give you a little bit of background about that in case you don't know, work for hire is just kind of like you're a temporary employee. They pay you for your time and they own all of the copyright to the work that you do while you're on the clock. Uh, now usage is supposed to protect situations like if you are on the clock at Marvel and you design Spider-Man, you get a cut of how much of those billions of dollars that they go on to make. Now the designer of Spider-Man ended up having tons of financial trouble, only got paid for his time, and usage rights is meant to uh, act as a safety net for those types of folks that are making this intellectual property that should be compensated for more than just their time. They should have an investment into the property that they're signing over. So with usage, they might pay you for uh, how long they're gonna use that thing and then what capacity, whether that's print, online, uh, TV. And so that's a, that's a further deal. And in those situations, sometimes they'll choose at a higher price to buy out the entire entire copyright for that property. And so those are the kind of two different options here. And I want to answer this in kind of a bigger way because the truth is whenever you're hired, you and the person hiring you get to decide which way to go, whether it's a work for hire or whether it's a usage. And I think in order to get in those situations where you're demanding usage rights, you need to be the type of person that has that leverage. And you only get that leverage if you're in this particular situation where you're really the only one that can deliver the thing that they want. And the way I like to look at it, at it is actors. So with acting, I think you've got kind of two different views here. You can either be the type of person that goes to roles, like a character actor, someone who molds themselves into, the, uh, into the character that they're given. Now, this is great because, you know, that means that 
you can get work. If you know how to do that really well, if you know how to mold into characters, there's, there's tons and tons of work for those folks. Uh, one of the people that I <laughs> found while looking through this was this guy named Kurt Fuller. Now, Kurt Fuller has been in Midnight in Paris, Pursuit of Happiness, Wayne's World, Ghostbusters, Anger Management, uh, Van Wilder, a billion, billion movies. And I guarantee, even having said all of those movies, you couldn't work out who this guy is. Who is Kurt Fuller? He's a dude who plays a kind of uptight, uh, uh, middle-aged white guy who kind of has, it could be a dad, it could be a business guy, it could be all kinds of things. He can turn into all of these different roles. And that's why he's got 187 credits in his uh, IMDb. Now, there's another guy you might have heard of. His name is Tom Hanks. He only has 82 credits on his IMDb. But as you know, Tom Hanks is one of the most successful actors of our lifetime. And here's a guy and in, unlike Kurt Fuller, here's a guy who the roles come to him. They're written for him. In order for a movie to work, it needs this dude. So he has all the leverage. And so in your freelance career, I think you should be positioning yourself to be someone who has that kind of leverage to carve out a niche in your market where you are the best possible option, the best in the world, as Seth Godin calls it, in the dip. Now, best in the world doesn't have to be the best logo designer. It can be a particular type of logo. It can be a, it could be the best modern coffee logo designer in the world. But until you have that kind of leverage, you can't be the one dictating the terms of the contract. How do you build up enough client work to freelance full-time while working a full-time job? How do you build up enough work uh, as a freelancer to go full-time freelance while you're working that busy uh, full-time situation. I get it. Lots of people have this question. Here's my answer. Slowly. Uh, <laughs> but I'll elaborate on that. Now, I think this is the tricky thing that people think that you either got to be full-time freelance party life or dreadful day job. Uh, and I just think that it's a lot more shades of gray than that. It's not so black and white. And here's what I mean. You know, when I was a kid, I used to have this big wheeler. It's like a trike, but it's really low to the ground. You got a giant big wheel in the front, two little wheels in the back. And boy, I could... I could get that thing up to speed. I could make crazy turns. I used to take that thing down the hill going wild on that thing. And that was my first training for riding a bike even before training wheels. And I think we think that you got your training wheels, which is your full-time job, and then you got riding a bike and it's just one or the other. 
Or even worse, we think you go from not riding a bike to riding a bike. There are so many stages in between you being a little guy, no riding experience, and being able to ride a two-wheeler, no training wheels. And so here's my encouragement to you. Take on and build up as much momentum as you can while you've got that full-time job. Maybe you're getting one freelance job a week, you're working nights and weekends, do whatever it takes to exist in that place for as long as possible. But then don't quit your job. You'd be blown away by how many employers don't want to lose employees because turnover is super costly, training you, all that jazz, it costs them tons of money. So instead, they would probably rather you not quit, if you're decent at all, and maybe just do one less day a week. Maybe do two days less a week. Maybe even after you quit, you can freelance for the company that you are working for. And so my encouragement to you is to get out of that black and white thinking and get into the gray, baby. You gotta get the big wheeler before you can get the training wheels, before you can go flying in that sweet two-wheeling freelance life. That concludes another episode of Ask a Freelancer. Don't forget to check out Cushion at cushionapp.com. I'm your host, Andy J. Miller. You can find my illustration portfolio and my other podcast, Creative Pep Talk, at www.andyj.pizza. Thanks to Nate Utesh and his band Metavari for the tunes. You can listen to more at soundcloud.com slash metavari. Send us your freelance questions on Twitter at CushionApp, and it might just be answered in the next episode. Thanks for listening. We'll be back very soon.